Pardon Market. 50 years ago, on June 28th, newspapers reported an unexpected act of resistance at a mafia-run bar on Christopher Street in New York City. The several days of protests and demonstration that ensued are collectively known as the Stonewall Riots. They marked a turning point in the gay rights and liberation movement. It is also why June is celebrated worldwide as Pride Month. So what does Pride Month mean? In the words of the Human Rights Campaign, Pride Month is the only occasion where people who identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transsexual, intersex, queer, or any type of sexual or gender minority can be out and proud in their community. Therefore, Pride festivals and parades that occur during the month celebrate the progress the LGBT community has made, but also recognize the distance this community still has to go to achieve full equality. Pod and Market is recognizing the importance of this month to many residents of Newark by holding two episodes focused on LGBT issues. A quick note, I will be using LGBT as a shorthand. This is not meant to exclude. One of the great difficulties with addressing LGBTQI plus issues and discussing them is the inherent reductiveness of labels. Often the words queer, gay, lesbian, LGBT, etc. are used interchangeably. I will do my best to use the correct specific term and apologize preemptively if I conflate or mistakenly use any of these terms. Now for our guest. This episode, we will have a conversation interview with Jeffy Trezak. He is the director of the Newark Public Library, which oversees the main library on Washington Street and seven branches across the city. Aside from his administrative duties and keeping the system running, he runs the director's blog and has emphasized making the library a more inclusive space. This is no surprise. Jeffrey has spent his 30-year career in library management and information technology, focusing on social justice and champion civil rights, particularly in the fields of race and LGBT liberation, as well as other issues facing urban libraries. On top of that, he and his husband are active Newark residents living in the North Ward. So first, uh, Jeffrey, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, as some of our listeners may know, the library recently opened an LGBT resource center. So I wanted to begin our conversation with why the library decided to open that center. Well, th- thank you for inviting me to be with you uh, here today, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, it is something I'm very proud about. Uh, as you mentioned, we recently opened the uh, LGBTQ uh, Resource Center in partnership with um, the Newark LGBTQ uh, Center. Uh, and we had a grand opening, uh, and I'm very pleased to say that Tammy Murphy, our first lady, joined us and actually cut the ribbon for us. Um, Newark Public Library actually has a very long history of uh, outreach to underserved communities. Uh, you may you may already know that, for example, uh, we were one of the first libraries in the country to have collections that were uh, targeted towards uh, immigrant communities. Uh, we had some of the first foreign language uh, collections in our library. We also uh, established La Sala Hispanoamericana, uh, which is the largest Spanish language uh, resource center in the state. So opening the center to me was just a, the LGBTQ center was just a logical extension of what Newark has been doing for, uh, for a very long period of time. Uh, and when I moved here, uh, I was actually invited to join the, the uh, board of Newark's LGBTQ Center, and I quickly realized uh, that there was a lot that we could do, the library could do, uh, in particular for this community. And that was the center that, that used to be on, um, Halsey Street. on Halsey Street, right? Yes, yes. So it's now located on the first floor of the Newark Public Library, the main library at 5 Washington. Right. And um, just to be clear for our listeners, I think um, if you walk into the space, it's a very, I've been there a couple times. Um, it's beautiful. It has these lovely movie posters. Thank it has you. the flags. And it's obviously a resource for physical books and media. But what else can be going on in that space? What do you expect that space to do? Well, we have, we actually have a lot of programming associated with the space. Uh, and uh, it's bookable by the public, uh, too, as well. So if individuals are interested in hosting events, uh, they can just go to npl.org uh, and reserve the room. And it, it doesn't actually even need to be LGBTQ-themed uh, uh, events. Uh, it's a resource that's available uh, for any sort of public uh, event. But we host a, a number of things there. We, For example, uh, June 19th uh, coming up Wednesday uh, from 6 to 8, we're going to have Drag Queen Bingo uh, <laughs> in this space. We also, and that's with Harmonica Sunbeam. I uh, refer to her as our Drag Queen in Residence. Uh, and she's also uh, going to be hosting a Drag Queen Story Hour. Uh, we've been doing that for uh, well over a year at this point. Uh, we have some other events coming up as well. Yeah, um, so I, I'm glad you brought up Drag Queens because I want to speak about this for a little bit. Um, some of our listeners may have noticed in the news, particularly there's a New York Times article, which I will post in the show notes, about um, the, both the proliferation of Drag Queen Story Hours across the country, but also the pushback. And um, I'm wondering, and just to go in a little bit, uh, the, in Ohio, the Speaker of the House of Representatives there, 
came out forcefully against it and actually caused, I think, several of them to shut down. Um, but you, we were talking a little bit earlier before the beginning of the podcast. Um, you mentioned what happened, I think it was in Maryland, right? Yes. Yeah, so what happened in Maryland in response to that? Uh, well, uh, I just read this morning that there was a protest uh, at a library in Maryland, and I can't remember which library, so I apologize. Uh, but um, in response to the protest, the community came out in support of Drag Queen Story Hour, and they went from something like 40 kids registered to a hun- over 100 uh, registered with a waiting list as well. So th- these events are very popular, uh, and uh, really... Uh, the reason why we do them is to encourage uh, both uh, a love of reading uh, in, ki- in children uh, and also uh, an understanding of difference uh, and diversity. Uh, so in a community like Newark, uh, our uh, Drag Queen Story Hours have been exceptionally popular. Mm-hmm. And um, just to, um, not to harp on it, but I, I just want to know, what are the challenges of doing um, a Drag Queen Story Hour in Newark? Um, has there been pushback? We only had one uh, protest with the um, Drag Queen story, story Hours that we've had. Uh, that was a couple of weeks ago. There was a, a, a group of about eight individuals uh, who protested, uh, but they weren't from Newark. Uh, they were from outside. Uh, and, uh, in fact, after they protested our Drag Queen Story Hour, they, they went to Hoboken and protested one there, <laughs> where they received pro- uh, pushback for being in Hoboken, uh, protesting Drag Queen Story Hour. And then I believe they went to another library, uh, in uh, New York City. So uh, they spent uh, all day Saturday protesting drag queen story hours in the region. I guess uh, hate is a full-time job for some. <laughs> um, and we've had a couple of minor complaints, but you know, really if people would just take the time to, to come in uh, and watch one of the drag queen story hours, those of us who are librarians recognize that what they're doing uh, is actually a very traditional story hour. Yeah. There's nothing unusual about it, uh, except for the fact that it's uh, a drag queen. And the the kids, you should see the responses when they see them. They absolutely love them. Kids love things that are over the top and you know glittery mm-hmm. and sparkly and uh, uh, eccentric. They love that. They're they're characters to them. So it really encourages the kids. Uh, to become avid readers. Yeah, I think what gets lost in these protests is, um, and I've been to drag shows myself. I've gone to them. There's uh, one that I go to in Jersey City sometimes. And I'm going to thank Brian Rucco out there for taking me to my first one. Um, people, f- like, they, they are body performances when you go as an adult, but you people forget that you do design these for children, right? And these yes. are actually explicitly meant to be um, as if it were a teacher or yes. a, um, a parent or um, any, you know, community member reading a story, except that it has the glitter and the, the makeup. Um, the fabulousness. The fabulousness. Um, but how, how open is a drag queen uh, about explaining who she is and what she's doing to the children? Or is it really just focusing on the stories? It's focusing. Those events are focused on the stories. I'm sure Harmonica would, would welcome a separate conversation. But really, uh, during those story hours, it's the focus is on the children and the focus is on, again, diversity and, and encouraging reading. Okay, um, and um, these um, drag time story hours, are they occurring just at the main branch, or is this something that's going on at the, um, the seven other branches across the city? Uh, right now, it's at the, only at the main branch. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, sort of focusing outwards, what other uh, events are the li- is the library doing? Um, anything specific for Pride Month? Uh, uh, yes, actually, we have a, a few events that are coming up. I already mentioned that we have the Drag Queen uh, Bingo, which is going to be June 19th uh, at the main library from uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, we have Drag Queen Story Hour again Saturday, July 13th, uh, 11 uh, to noon. Um, and uh, a big event that we have uh, coming up is uh, on July 10th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. We have Gerard Conley coming. Uh, he's a New York Times best-selling author. He wrote Boy Erased, which uh, became a movie starring Nicole Kidman, uh, and it's about his experience with uh, gay conversion therapy. So uh, he'll be with us uh, 6 to 8 on July 10th. I think I'll be there, because actually I read the book last year, again, at the recommendation of the same person I mentioned, Brian Rucco, <laughs> who um, who told me I should read it. And it's uh, it's an interesting book. I, I actually would love to, I, I'm going to probably end up going there and asking him a few questions if I can, because... Um, it's it's something I do recommend, um, but with a little bit of hesitation, just because it, it is a bit of a of a shock read. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if you've read it yourself. Yes, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, but uh, that is really great that there, you, there's a lot of planning and programming going on for the month. Um, and outside of the month, are there any other larger um, 
larger programming or maybe initiatives that the library is looking at um, on LGBT issues? Well, well, we will be doing, uh, in partnership with the uh, LGBT Center, we will be doing a, um, a pride dance. Uh, I think that date will be, uh, I want to say it's July uh, 12th, but people should check npl.org uh, for our events. We have a lot of activities. I, I should probably say that in the two years that I've been here, our programming has increased uh, by 400% and attendance at, at our programs by about 385%. Uh, so uh, on any given Saturday, you could go to the main library and there are six events that are occurring simultaneously. So um, it's sometimes hard for even me to keep up with uh, everything that we're, we're doing. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, just a little, my own perspective, I, I grew up in this system. And uh, unfortunately, the library I used to go to um, is now closed. But um, it, it was amazing. When I was a kid, the main library was this sort of um, standoffish place. Um, and I, I loved it. It was great. It was grand. It was epic. I, I would go there for, um, you know, once my aunt took me to get a, a, a VHS, because you know, back in the days, we watched VHSs. And it was the only one that was available at the main the main library. And it was like we went in quickly to that side room, which is now a cafe, but that's where the videos used to be. And uh, we got the video and left, and it was just like, we, we just felt so like awed by the whole space, but also like, you know, not enough time to spend down there. And now when I've moved back down here, uh, or moved downtown, I've started noticing there's dancing going on at the library. Um, there's these large events. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a, um, the, the ICC had their, uh, I think it was their 50th yes. anniversary that was there. Um and it just seems like a much more, and this is not to complain because it's always been an open space, but it just feels more open. I guess it has this sort of inclusive feeling to it. We've been reaching out uh, more to partners uh, in the city uh, and offering our spaces to host different types of events. Uh, our biggest event now, which started out actually quite small, uh, is our Friday night dance party. So every Friday at the main library between Memorial Day and Labor Day, uh, we have um, DJ uh, Deuce. Uh, and Adam Cruz, uh, and they play house music from 6 until 11. Uh, when we first started the program uh, two years ago, we were lucky if we had 100, 200 people, uh, but this summer we're hitting about 1,500 people every Friday night. So if you're looking for something to do on a Friday night in Newark, uh, it's a very fun event. People come and bring their lawn chairs and coolers and just hang out. Uh, at the library. And Mercado, if you charged a cover, you'd make your budget. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I, I, yes, we probably would. It's, uh, but we're, you know, we're a free public library. Yeah. The, you know, the, uh, uh, it's in the name uh, above the door of the, the library, actually, the main library, Free mm -hmm. Public Library of Newark. So. Oh, wow. Was that like John Cotton Dana's like, actual name for it was like, the, it'll be, this will be a free... It predates. It pre oh, predates, predates him. him. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. not the first? I always assumed no, he was the first no. librarian. Um, I didn't know. Oh. You know, learning history here right yes. now. Um, it's kind of funny. Um, speaking of libraries, just to sort of um, bring out the scope, uh, and I say this with a little bit of a bias, I was a library proctor at the library in my high school for four years. And when I was in college, that was my, my pay. My work study was working at the Center for European Studies uh, Library. So I do say this with a little bit of a bias um, in favor of them. But I think people look at libraries, particularly in this age of smartphones, in this age of uh, tablet computers, um, of instant access to to data and information as obsolete, and I want I want to ask you about why is the library not obsolete these days? Well, we we provide in addition to the traditional services that you'd expect to find uh, at a library, uh, reference assistance and and uh, circulation of print books. Um, we are actually uh, buying more print copies, uh, and I saw recently that there was a survey conducted. 65% uh, of uh, the reading population still prefers printed books. We do offer ebooks and audiobooks as well, uh, and we offer uh, one of the popular services that we just started is uh, Canopy, uh, which is video on demand, it's sort of like a um, public library equivalent of the Red Box. Mm. Uh, so you can actually watch videos online uh, using your public library card, uh, and that uh, has really taken off. Uh, we're seeing a lot of use uh, there, but you know, people come to the public library for a number of reasons now uh, that they might not have uh, a couple of decades ago. Um, we teach uh, English as a second language. We have, we're also, we have offered Spanish courses uh, as well. Uh, one of our popular courses is American Sign Language. Uh, that's quite popular. We can help people find work. We can help people find a, uh, find a home. We can help people get into college. 
Uh, we can help them uh, with SAT and GED. Uh, we provide really a wide range of services now, but beyond, well beyond the traditional just checking in and out of books and videos and things. Nice. Um, and it's. Um, do you still find there's young people coming in at least and not just... Um you know, people of a certain, like a little older that are used to what libraries do? Actually, one of our growing uh, populations right now are teens. Uh, two years ago, we added a teen librarian, and there's a teen space now uh, at the main library. Uh, and uh, uh, for example, we joined um, the Scholastic Writing Awards. Uh, we are now uh, the New Jersey uh, uh, representative for uh, Scholastic Writing Awards. Uh, and we are literally getting thousands of applications for uh, these awards or writing uh, submissions uh, on an annual basis uh, now. And when I first started a couple of years ago, I think there were something like two Newark uh, entries for the Scholastic Writing Awards. Uh, this past year, we had well over 100. Um, we do a phenomenal uh, poetry work workshop with Jasmine Manns, uh, who, if you haven't heard her, she's mm. a spoken word artist. She's uh, just incredible. So, um, no, it's not just old people. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, I include myself <laughs> in that category at this point. Um, but it's we're seeing a lot of teens and we're seeing a lot of kids. Yeah, I think what a lot of people misunderstand about a younger... And I'm turning 30 in two weeks. Uh, um, what people misunderstand about younger people, and I'm going to identify as one for now, <laughs> is that we still love analog, what we call analog you know, uh, forms. And uh, if you come to my apartment, it's full of books that are printed Um and I think people don't understand that, you know, uh, it's it's hard to read on a Kindle, right? And we don't just listen to audiobooks, but like there's still a, a space for um, for this this sort of older form of media. But the library's also up. You guys have updated. You have now. You said you can access eBooks at the library. Yes. You can um, borrow those. Borrow with heavy air quotes, but like right. it is a form of borrowing. Um, and uh, I'm also glad. Um, I I I. I, I I'm upset you didn't mention this big event, one of, what I think was one of the biggest l events at the library, but I also love it because it shows where your focus actually mm -hmm. is. But the one of my favorite events at the library is the Philip Roth Lecture. Oh, I, yes. That is unbelievable. I've It's authors I've read and I love. Um, I mean, so far, the, it's been Zadie Smith, Robert Caro, and... Salman uh, Rushdie. Salman Rushdie. Well, <laughs> you don't need to tell me because I, I, I went there hours beforehand. Mm -hmm. I kid you not, hours to get a seat. Um, and to get him to sign my copy of Midnight's Children was just... It blew my mind, and uh, I'm wondering, um, just asking because partly out of personal um, interest, but um, what what will be going on with Philip Roth's? Uh, is is his archives are his archives coming to Newark? Or? His personal library is coming to okay. Newark, not his archives. Okay. Uh, and we're in the process uh, right now of um, renovating a space on the second floor uh, adjacent to Centennial Hall, uh, which will um, house his uh, personal library. There are about 6,000 volumes. Wow. Uh, yeah, he had books both at his New York City apartment and also his Connecticut home. Uh, we're getting the books. We're also getting some of his uh, honorary degrees uh, and awards uh, and some other uh, some articles, some other objects, uh, including some of the furniture, his writing desk. Uh, he stood up when he wrote uh, due mm -hmm. to um, back injuries. Uh, and So we're getting one of his writing desks. Uh, we're also getting an Eames chair uh, that he would sit in and, and uh, write and read. So we're we're very excited about it. The room, uh, we actually uh, have, I think, about two years left. Uh, we have to have it, We the will stated that we had to have it built within three years. Uh, so we're on schedule, and it will be opening in a couple of years. Yeah, and it's kind of funny, a little uh, fact, and obviously I'm sure this will be part of the room, is that he was an employee um, of the library um, and obviously used it, too, as a, as a, as a student and as a um, young person. But have you found any artifacts from his days working there? You know, I'm sure we have some, and I okay. should know the answer to Got, that. That's fine. Um, but I, uh, I, I don't. But we're very obviously very excited uh, about having his uh, personal library coming coming to us, and we're really mm -hmm. looking forward uh, to the opening uh, of the room. And incidentally, this uh, this fall, uh, the um, author we're bringing in for the Philip Roth lecture is uh, Sean Wolentz. Oh my God! Princeton, I guess uh, I know Sean. Oh my God! That's yeah. that's you. Heard, it is, I don't know if this is the first place you've announced it or not, but it, it's probably the first place I've said it publicly. So. Wow! Um, thank you for that bit. Um, I um, again, this is a fanboy fanboying really hard right now, but um, I, I do attend those lectures, and it was really cool to hear that um, 
it, it, you're keeping the lecture strong and and bringing big names to thank it. you i was going to i was going to mention it when i mentioned gerard conley uh it, that uh event is really part of the uh, author series that we do uh, you prob- i'm sure you know that last year we had juno diaz yep. uh sonia sotomayor and salman rushdie so it was a phenomenal year last year for us so uh this year we're really pleased to have gerard conley uh and um also, uh, Sean Wilentz coming, and I will, I'll give you another little bit of information I haven't yet said publicly. Uh, we're bringing in N.K. Jemison uh, in yep. August. Uh, she is the first African-American author to win a Hugo Award. She writes science fiction, and she's the only author ever to win three consecutive uh, Hugo Awards. She's an Afrofuturist, uh, and I'm reading her collection of short stories right now, so I'm really looking forward to bring her, bringing her in, and that'll be in August. Yeah, I mean, just to show you how big of a deal she is, I'm not a sci-fi person at all. At all. It's not a genre I've ever gravitated to, but I definitely know of her because of it's, it's sort of like when you hear about a famous, I don't like tennis at all, but when you mm-hmm. hear about like a famous tennis player, you're like, oh, I've heard because this person's done, um, has broken that barrier and broken out um, in a way. Um, to shift gears a little bit, I just want to talk, because um, I actually find you, the, the re- part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is, I think you're uh, fascinating because of how much I've heard about you through my own social network. Um, just because that um, you've, you're not from Newark, um, but you've come in and you seem to sort of find a groove here. And I just wanted, wondering if you want to talk a little more about coming from outside and coming to a space that um, is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe a little bit about your own background and, and, and how um, you came, where you came from and what you brought here. Uh, those are good questions. I don't mind talking about it at all. I've spent uh, most of my life and my career in urban areas. Uh, So um, uh, Newark feels very comfortable to me in ways. Uh, I was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, uh, and uh, started my library career at the Dayton Public Library uh, and um, grew up in a very working class uh, neighborhood. uh, And uh, with uh, immigrants from mostly Central uh, and Eastern Europe. Uh, and from there went to Detroit and was the Associate Dean of Libraries at Wayne State University in Detroit and did a lot of work uh, with the cultural arts organizations in the city of Detroit, especially around uh, digitizing uh, special collections related to the history of Detroit. I'm really excited because um, Junius Williams, who's now uh, uh, working in the library as well as a, an embedded uh, historian, uh, he's he just uh, launched a Rise Up Detroit uh, project that he's working on, and he's actually using resources that I digitized about 20 years ago from the mm-hmm. collection. So I'm thrilled that somebody's uh, putting them to to good use. I lived and worked in uh, Canada for a bit, and again in an urban uh, area, Hamilton, Ontario, and then uh, for the past before coming here. Uh, lived in St. Louis and worked at Washington University in St. Louis, uh, and that's where I met my husband, Michael. Uh, And my big project in St. Louis was uh, Michael and I lived in one of the neighborhoods affected by the protests that occurred uh, after Michael Brown was shot. Uh, And uh, I launched a project called Documenting Ferguson where we had uh, librarians and archivists on the ground uh, during the protests capturing uh, what was happening uh, in that community. And we uh, worked collaboratively with a number of organizations in St. Louis uh, to capture physical things, but mostly uh, digital things. So um, you can uh, Google Documenting Ferguson and find the project, but among other things, we captured about 11 million tweets uh, related to um, Black Lives Matter, Michael Brown, uh, and Ferguson. Uh, and that went on to become a project called Documenting the Now. So I've Uh, And throughout my career, I've had uh, collaborative relationships with uh, organizations to recruit people from underrepresented groups to librarianship and worked really closely with HBCUs uh, like Lincoln University of Missouri uh, to uh, identify individuals from underrepresented groups who might have an interest in in librarianship. So coming into Newark um, uh, felt like a comfortable and logical uh, next step. Uh, in my career, and I'm thrilled to be working at an institution like Newark Public Library, which has such a long career uh, of innovation uh, and outreach and community support, uh, especially for communities that are underrepresented. Yeah, um, mentioning the uh, documenting the Ferguson, um, uh, the protests and, and, and the demonstrations, I'm wondering, um, not that we're going through that right now in Newark, but I'm wondering, what, is there any projects that maybe would be interested, interesting to happen here in Newark that... Oh, is there something that you think you would like to document here? 
Um, well, we have we have really rich collections, as I'm sure you know, uh, especially in the New Jersey room uh, and also in the uh, Hispanic Research and Information Center. Uh, and we have been working on digitizing those collections with uh, support from uh, Carnegie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hope we're in the process right now of uh, submitting an application to the National Endowment for the Humanities to try to get more of those resources uh, digitized. Um, I would love uh, to find a way of getting our collections out more and into the community. You've been uh, a supporter of the libraries mm-hmm. you visited often, and, and what people uh, may not know is just how extensive our collections are, uh, especially our art collections. We have about 30,000 works of art on paper, uh, and they include things like uh, uh, Picassos and Lichtensteins and Moreaus and Warhols. And um, Right now what we're working on is... Um, uh, identifying ways to renovate the building uh, to allow for more exhibition of those collections. Nice. Um, and if you were um, a resident or a patron of the library, how would you access any of those? Um, pr- they're prints, I'm guessing? Or? Yes. So like, do, would you just look it up on the catalog and ask for one? Or is, it, is there still a, you're still trying to make them... Are they even accessible? Am I mistaken in that? Uh, they are. Uh, many of our collections are in storage. Uh, the best uh, approach would be to, to come in uh, and go to the New Jersey room, uh, third floor of the main library, uh, and ask for assistance there. Uh, and then they, that's a good starting point if you're interested in those special collections. Yeah, I'm just asking because I'm hoping maybe someone listening out there, you know, is spurred on to by the names you listed just to actually go and access these. Um, they're amazing. Yeah, they're amazing. I don't want to say underutilized because I, I feel like that's um, putting the cart before the horse. But um, I think, you know, to, to make sure people know what's available, um, whether they're young, they're, they're older or, what, or where they're coming from, that these resources are there. They are accessible um, in in the library. Um and I'm wondering, you know, the, you mentioned about documenting and digitizing all this stuff. I, I think it's, it's, I'm really glad to hear that because I, it actually blows my mind that there isn't a mainstream um, historical book on 67 in Newark. And I'm maybe hoping that the work you're doing, and I, I imagine the New Jersey, New Jersey Historical Society mm-hmm. um, is also um, another resource. And I hope you're in dialogue with them about getting all this stuff out there. Um, and open so that some you know intrepid PhD student or post you know postdoc historian. You should invite Junius Williams. To I know be on your true. show, right? But he's he's a, like I'm not saying he he's like he's a historian in like a, an established sense, right? And yes. I'm wondering if you could find like some young you know young person who hopefully gets inspired by all this to actually write that like grand I'm, I'm that sure, grand history. I'm right? sure we could. We we actually have really one of the reasons why I enjoy. You know, most of my career has been in academic libraries, not public libraries. And one of the reasons why I wanted to come to Newark, too, was uh, that Newark Public Library has a really strong relationship with Rutgers University, mm-hmm. Newark. Uh, and uh, we've been working closely with uh, people like um, Mary Rizzo, for example, mm-hmm. uh, Queer Newark uh, Oral History Project, uh, and Tim Eaton, uh, who uh, has helped uh, some of the classes uh, from the Honors uh, Living and Learning uh, community uh, that he's dean of. I hope I got that title correct. <laughs> but um, uh, I'm sure there's some young young scholar who's going to emerge out of that that would be interested in, in, in writing your book. Yeah, some young Robert Caro writes like 1,500-page yes. book. Some um, future uh, uh, Philip Roth lecturer. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Finally, to have a new worker actually give the Philip Roth lecture. Yes. would be amazing. A, a nice full circle. Um but I'm actually glad you mentioned records because this actually preempted a question I had in my head. And I'm wondering, um, obviously, you are just by nature, because you're an institution, talking to other institutions in Newark. But I'm wondering, what what institutions do you guys talk to? Um, what relationships do you want to build with institutions that don't, either in Newark or outside Newark, that don't exist already? Well, uh, I would be remiss if uh, I didn't mention the partnership that we just announced this week, Newark Reads, mm-hmm. uh, and the Mayor's uh, Book Initiative. Uh, we, I'm very pleased that we are working with uh, the mayor's office uh, and also Newark Public Schools, uh, other organizations uh, such as NCLC, the Newark City Learning Collaborative, and United Way, United Way as well, excuse me, uh, to promote literacy uh, across the city. Uh, so uh, we just held the, um, the press conference uh, this past week, uh, very well attended and very excited that we'll be um, uh, promoting this uh, Mayor's Book Club uh, initiative. We have had very strong relationships with Rutgers uh, University Newark, but we also have strong relationships with the museum, uh, which we should, uh, since the museum started at the Newark Public Library. 
and we have a, a good working relationship with um, NJPAC uh, as well. John Schreiber is a phenomenal uh, supporter of the, of the library, and we have done a number of programs programs with them, including uh, Books on the Move uh, and also Jazz in the Stacks. Um, you know, it's funny that you didn't mention the institution. I also think of because we think of like public institutions, but also mm-hmm. private ones. Um, the one I think of that like is weirdly like it's kind of weird. It's almost like perpendicular to you. Like they're related, but they're also like not, which is audible, which yes. is two doors down from you. They're a great next door neighbor. Yeah. And we, uh, we've worked with them too, uh, as well, uh, on a number of initiatives. They've been, um, uh, they've been very helpful, uh, in supporting the Philip Roth lecture. Uh, and they have been providing free downloads as part of that lecture. Uh, and of course, um, there are a number of other activities that they do as well. They have a, a great uh, in-house volunteer organization. They've done things for us like build the stage uh, that we were using for our Friday night dance party uh, for the DJ. Um, they've also done some cleanup projects for us at some of the branches, uh, just getting them uh, ready, Sp- spring cleanings, uh, so to speak. Uh, and Don Katz, of course, did the uh, intro for Salman Rushdie last yes, year. Yes, I remember seeing that. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, they're, they're great partners. And I love what they just did with uh, Washington Park. If you haven't seen it, you should yep. take a look. Yeah, the you're talking about the, the orange and the blue uh, boxes. Yes, and the, the and planters. The, yeah, and, and oh, the planters, lights. right? The actual. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that's right outside the um, um, the Innovation Cathedral, right? Which yes. just opened up last month. Yes. Um, but I'm also want to ask you, um, you know, sort of as a, a in larger in scope, um, where do you see the library in 20, 30 years? Um, oh, gosh. I know the long term. I know, I know. <laughs> but it's, it's actually interesting because it, it helps me understand the reason why I, it sounds like a dumb interview question, right? It's like, where do you see yourself in 20, 30 years? But I do ask it because it actually gives me and I think our audience a way of seeing what you see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're at the top of the mountaintop and looking over, um, what is it that you are looking at? Um and I understand it's very broad because who knows where informi- information right. technology is going to be in 20... 20- I mean, maybe they'll just be zapping books into our heads and how wonderful and brave new world that will be. <laughs> but um, if things stay roughly on the trajectory they are, mm-hmm. where do you want the library to be? Do you want it to be larger? Do you want it to be um, maybe not larger, but just more intensive? Uh, that, that's a good question. 20 to 30 years uh, is hard for me to figure out uh, because of all the changes that are happening in libraries and how people access and use information. Uh, I'm much more comfortable talking about uh, five years or maybe even three years. I mean, it, how very it, Soviet to be well, five year plan. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very hard. I mean, when you think back, uh, just within the last ten years, when we've seen things like, you know, iPhones uh, suddenly uh, take off, uh, and some of the social media that we now take for granted is actually not that old. Uh, I'm old enough uh, that when I started uh, my library career, my first job was filing the cards in the card mm. catalog. Uh, and I hope uh, that you will agree. I'm actually not that old. Uh, I'm older <laughs> than you, but I'm not that old. Um, uh, but for me, uh, I think where I want the library to be is uh, I think we're headed in a really good direction now. Uh, I think, uh, especially with the Mayor's Book Club, uh, first and foremost, our uh, goal is always to enhance literacy uh, within the community. That's uh, like the meat and potatoes of the library. Yeah. Uh, and the work that we're now doing with um, Newark uh, Public Schools and with the mayor's office, uh, I think will really help to ensure that uh, every every Newarker uh, is reading it uh, at an appropriate uh, grade right. level. Uh, I think the work that we're also doing with the Newark City of Learning Collaborative is helping to ensure that every Newarker has the opportunity uh, to go to um, college or university or Uh, to become involved in a trade. Uh, And I think uh, the work that we do with uh, organizations, including uh, La Casa uh, and others, is ensuring that people have, uh, are successful in becoming citizens uh, Mm -hmm. and learning English. Uh, Those, to me, are sort of the meat meat and potatoes of what we do. Um, I'm also very proud of the work that we do to help people find homes, uh, we do a lot of work with the uh, homeless community. Uh, we have a full-time social worker uh, on staff now who can assist uh, in helping people find homes or find the care that they need. Uh, and uh, we just started a new art program uh, for some of our uh, homeless members, too. Um, actually, I'm glad you brought up the homeless because I, I, this is something I, I, I really apologize for not mentioning earlier because it is, has been a huge part of... The programming and uh, I don't want to say programming because that implies like you know traditional library programming, mm-hmm. 
but part of the um, attempt to be more inclusive, but also recognize the issues people are facing. I, w- I was hoping you can speak a little bit about what the library is doing uh, with New York's homeless population um, and what you're offering them. So we we offer programming year-round for the homeless community. The uh, every Any day, uh, somebody can come in uh, to the library and work with the social worker that we have on staff uh, to help them to find a home or get the, the mental health care that they need. Um, I just mentioned this art program that we're, we're doing as well. Uh, the social worker's working on that along with some of our librarians, including uh, Nadine, who is our uh, curator of prints. Uh, she's working with them uh, as well, but we—it's—it's uh, it's hard for me to sort of consolidate what we do because uh, the services that we uh, offer our homeless population is embedded into what we do on a daily basis. So, uh, uh, for example, um, our social worker is collecting toiletries uh, for the homeless. Uh, we do an annual program uh, for homeless where we bring in about 20 different social service agencies to to work with them. Uh, they, the homeless can come in and, and get the help that they need, but can also get a haircut. We've given out shoes. Uh, we've given out gloves uh, when the weather's been cold. Uh, last um, winter, when the uh, temperatures dipped uh, very low, we opened our doors earlier so that uh, the homeless could come in, and we actually worked with hobbies. Uh, they provided free coffee mm-hmm. uh, and also gloves uh, for the homeless community. So um, thinking about uh, our uh, homeless users is just something that's embedded into everything that we do on a daily basis. Right. And um, I think there's a lot of people out there who appreciate what you're doing and recognize its importance. I just, I'm going to uh, be that devil's advocate just for someone who may be like, this is a library. It's actually mm-hmm. meant to be a place where people access information and get books. Why, you know, why is it functioning as this other institution? Well, we are a place of public accommodation. There are a lot of reasons why people come uh, to the library. Books are certainly a major part of it, but it's not the only part. Uh, And uh, in terms of coming in for information, we are working with the homeless to help them to identify the appropriate social service agency that might be able to to help them. So they are coming in uh, and uh, getting information. Uh, In that case, finding out who they should be working with uh, to help them with whatever their particular situation is. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's it, it's always interesting because I, I think what people, and this has, I think, been a running theme of our entire conversation here, is that libraries are not just shelves. Uh, and this coming from someone who loves them and uses them and has worked in them, um, and it's it's really exciting to hear all this stuff that's been going on. And I, I, and I don't mean to call it stuff, but I really do think all this programming, these initiatives are part of a larger theme, a larger motto. Um that the library is meant to be a free public library. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, but um, I'm wondering if there's anything else you wanted to share while you have an audience here that's listening, uh, hopefully intently, about the library and anything else you want to explain um, that about the library, the New York Public Library. So we do have the main library, which is at 5 Washington. We also have seven branches that are located a- a- around the city. If you haven't been to the library uh, recently, uh, please come back. Uh, please step in, uh, stop by. Uh, I think what you'll find is uh, something that is different than uh, what you may be used to uh, from the library of your youth. Uh, we're offering uh, many more services now, a, a wide range of services, uh, and uh, we're eager to work with the community to continue to expand the services that, that we provide. We are uh, uh, at, at, the, at the sort of a base level. We are here to enhance lives. Uh, whatever that means uh, to the individual. Uh, and we would love to work with the community to craft the kinds of services that, that they expect. So please stop in, get your library card, and check out what we have uh, to offer. Uh, and for those of you who are uh, more fond of the technology, just visit npl.org. You know what's funny about the library cards is I um, was in my old bedroom um, when I was a kid and uh, just ru- ru- rummaging through my old stuff, and I found my old library card which still looks exactly the same as the ones that uh, we use today here at the library, the, the same gray, steel gray um, with the red, mm-hmm. reddish lettering on them. And it, it, it is funny. Sometimes, you know, oh, this is like going deep in, but like in a city that's constantly changing and um, in some ways amazingly, but in some ways that are also scary when, you know, because change, you know, has this sort of built-in um, adjective that comes with it. Um, it's amazing to see that the library still is there as a bedrock and also still using the same cards from when 
um, some of us were children uh, and even before that. Um, and I, I do like that little touch. Uh, obviously, I don't know if you have plans to change library card or even of getting rid of them because of, you know, now smartphones, people could just show, you know, whatever. You, you can use your phone. Oh, you can? Yes, to access your record. What? Yeah. Like, uh, like as a, like an We account? have an app. Oh, you have an app? We have an app. Oh, boy, do I feel behind. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm going like, to pull up my cell phone right now and like download. <laughs> and, actually, how do you find the app? What would you search for? Go to npl.org. Oh, and they'll like link you to the the yes. app. That's cool. I this is again learning things that are new. Um, I'm so old school. I go in and like, um, like I had to do some research earlier this week in the library, and uh, you know I was actually like went to one of the library and said, "Tell me where this particular stack is," and went to it and, and actually went through it like individually through each book as opposed to like being all modern and actually like using <laughs> using electronic card catalog and word search and stuff we, like that. We have an app. You can download mm-hmm. videos. We have all new technology in our Victoria yeah. Technology Center, courtesy of uh, Prudential. Thank you, yeah. Prudential, for being so supportive. We have 3D printers in the library. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because like I, I, th- while I have you here, I might as well talk like, you know, some library chop shop or top shop, whatever the expression is. Um, shop. There we go. Um, but I always find it interesting, like whether or not libraries should also double down on, you know, the physicality of, of media, um, and whether they should be teaching things like calligraphy and like, you know, old book production, Mm -hmm. you have the printing presses there. Obviously I don't think they're functional, but you have, I've seen them on display, some old printing presses. Yes. They're in the lot. They're in the, um, vestibule. Yeah. And walk in. And it'd be interesting, um, obviously, I, I, you probably are nothing about this as much right now, but like whether or not libraries should also attempt to, you know, like the history of the book, right? Printed media. Why is printing matter? Why did that change people's way of accessing information? We actually have a phenomenal uh, history of the book collection. People don't know that we have um, Egyptian scarabs and papyrus and Sumerian clay tablets. I saw, uh, I saw one of those the other day. It blew my mind on, that you had one. On display, I think, on the third floor, if I'm remembering yep. Uh, yep. correctly. But, um, and we do have the printing press. But I, I'll give you another little scoop, which is um, we're in the process of working with a faculty member at Rutgers, and we hope to produce uh, bookmarks uh, and book plates uh, and some other uh, print materials uh, using some of the old uh, style um, print plates oh, wow. uh, that John Cotton, Cotton Dana would have used in his time, actually. And, and just to, uh, sorry, this is a bit of um, <clears throat> library lingo, so or book lingo for that matter. So what, what is it, can you explain what a book plate is to audience members who don't know what that is? Uh, it's something that you can put in the front of your book to identify that it belongs to you. And my friends are probably rolling their eyes right now because they know this about me, and I'm actually going to show um, Jeffrey here that I do do that. <laughs> I actually had a, a Latin one made for my books. Oh, very nice. Yeah, an ex libris um, because I'm that nerdy and I'm that geeky. Um, but I do stamp all my books, and it's it's weird. Like the this is something my mom thinks I'm insane because uh, I have stacks of books, and people don't understand that there is this physical relationship. Yes, you have there is. The book. And people don't like, it, it doesn't make sense as an outward thing, but if you do experience it, there is something about when you own a book, when it's yours, um, when it's something that you have a relationship with, which is why I love libraries for research, but I never like mm-hmm. them for actual like owning of books because I, the borrowing is so, for me, so transient. Mm-hmm. It's as if you never built that relationship in the same way as if you owned it. Um, but I understand that for a lot of people, like they don't have the, either the resources or the money to buy every single book they want to read. One of the reasons why we're excited about getting Philip Ross personal library is that he wrote in his books. Yes, that's another thing. Yeah, yeah which so. you're not supposed to do when you're, when you're borrowing yeah. a book. You can write in your books. Don't write in the library books. Okay. Uh, but um, we call it marginalia. So yes. So it's a good library yeah. term as well. So we're excited to see what he may have written in the margins. Oh, God, I can't even wait. I, I would love to see his um, copies, it's particularly of classics, where I'm wondering what he thought about you know, certain books that I'm convinced were, were influences on him. But you know, you'll only find out if you actually look at his library. It was fun, it was fun to go and visit because um, you know, I didn't know what he may be reading. And uh, he read everything, actually. Uh, but um, uh, I love Bloom, the Bloomsbury Group authors. So mm. people like Virginia yep. Woolf uh, and Lynn uh, Strachey, another great yep. one. I love him yep. a lot. So he had all of that. Oh man, uh, Ian Forster. Uh, Forster's great. Yeah, yeah I he did, had all that stuff. I just did Howard's End last year, which is funny because I'm actually I like um, Ian Forster a lot, but I had not read Howard's End, which is probably the one you should read of it, of all of them. Um, and just if you're looking for a book recommendation out there, Howard's End is something mm-hmm. very very interesting. 
Um, and I think he's an overlooked, uh, speaking of LGBT, an overlooked LGBT author sometimes. Yes. Um, because he only one, wrote one book that was explicitly about um, gay relationships, which is only published after his death. Um, but uh, it's it's funny that I, he he was a Bloomsbury fan. I didn't even yes. know. Yeah, I know. That's what I you know I went to to see his collection and and uh, it was sort of nice to it was reassuring to know that Philip Roth that I read some of the same things yeah. that Philip Roth read. Well, um, were you around for the first uh, Philip Roth lecture? No, no. Okay, so did you end up seeing a recording of it or no? I have not. So Zadie Smith had this amazing opening line. Um, and uh, I was so it was in Centennial Hall. So this is before it moved. I think back to the to the back to J Bar to James Brown. Yeah, the, yeah the James Brown room. Um, not named after James Brown the Funk, uh, you know, genius, um, but after a, a prominent librarian in, yes. in Newark um, who started the African American. He was room. The, yes the first uh, African the first librarian for African American resources uh, yeah. at Newark Public Library. So to get back off that tangent, so Zadie, Zadie Smith she opened her her lecture lectures. It was really a, a talk and a speech. Um, saying, I don't know why Philip Roth chose me because apparently he had picked her. Yes. Um, and he, she even said, I didn't know he read me. <laughs> right. And that was an amazing line with that, that candor, right? Cause sometimes these speeches can be a little stilted. Um, but, um, the candor that came from Zadie Smith was just amazing. And it, it is funny that you can't pigeonhole anyone. You don't know what people read. Um, you don't, you, you, you know, he might like trans- trashy romances and not to called romances trashy but like i'm pretty sure there were no trashy romance novels in <laughs> philip roth's library i did not see any oh man anyway sorry now this conversation has spun out of control <laughs> um but let's wrap it up um let's talk about how i end every episode which is um what are you excited for in newark any particular events or larger things i well i have to say well i'm most excited about the library but that's sort of, of my job right um and i am excited about these friday nights uh it, it was an experiment uh, mm-hmm. that we launched a couple of years ago with the Puerto Rican Day Parade, actually, to have these Friday night dance parties. Uh, and they've become sort of a staple uh, in downtown Newark on Friday nights. What I love about them is that the library is able to provide a, a venue where fe- people feel safe and comfortable, and they can enjoy uh, good house music, and they can enjoy uh, the company of each other. And I, I think that's really what libraries should be about providing safe, comfortable spaces where the community can come together and celebrate each other and celebrate their families and celebrate Newark and life. Uh, it's a great way to end that. Oh my, like a perfect encapsulation of, of the library. Um, so for my, what I'm excited about this week, um, I know my mom listens to this podcast. Hello, mom. Um, and she would hit me with a wooden spoon if I didn't mention that this weekend is the of the Portugal. Um, Portugal Day, for um, for those of you out there who um, may be unfamiliar, um, it is the Portuguese secular national holiday. Um, there are also two major feasts, Catholic feasts, that occur during this month, which makes June a particularly crazy month in Portugal. Um, St. Anthony, which is occurring right now, he is, was born in Portugal, went to Italy, so he's actually a big Italian saint as well as a big Portuguese saint. Um, you may recognize him. He's the saint who carries the baby Jesus all the time. Um, and there's uh, my personal saint whose day I was born on is St. John the Baptist, which is like the patron saint of my mom's hometown, Porto. And, um, but uh, June 10th is the secular holiday, and it's the birthday of the national poet of Portugal, um, Luís de Camões, who was this um, contemporary of Cervantes and Shakespeare who wrote this Portuguese epic called the Luisiads, which is about Portugal's... This is a man who himself had been to the far um, to Indonesia and China, lost an eye in India. Fun, fun story there. Um, but came back and wrote this epic about traveling. And um, because of that, they made the national holiday his birthday. And basically, Ferry Street turns into this giant um, orgy of like food, caipirinha, sangria, um, and uh, ranchos, which is these traditional folkloric dances. Um, and it's just general like c- controlled mayhem, which I, lo- I like a lot. Um, and I really do recommend uh, if you get a chance to visit. Um, if you're vegan, it's going to suck, but um, the food is pretty great. Um, you can always get those delicious little tarts, those yes. little custard. But if you're vegan, you can't even get no, the you tarts. No, you can't. If you're vegetarian, the, cuts, the, the tarts will work. Um, but <laughs> even if you just go there to soak it all in, the smells, the the sights, the sounds. I know this sounds like really like cheesy, but like it really does become this giant um, celebration that you can uh, take in and... Um, it's one of those um, those um, ethnic festivals that really is large and all-embracing and a lot of fun. 
Um, so I do recommend you visit it, and it's something I've been going to since I was, you know, since I was born, basically. Uh, that's it for this episode. I want to thank our guest, uh, Jeffrey Trezak, the director of the New Republic Library. Uh, this is Manny Antunes, host and producer of the Pod and Market podcast, editing and sound engineering by Byphrase, podcast logo and design provided by Robert Conti, additional creative input by Samantha Cateis, pod intro and outro by Dan Myler. If you have a subject you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please email podandmarket at gmail.com or contact the pod through social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also have a Patreon page. Um, it's at patreon.com slash podandmarket. Um, and I'm going to end, uh, because it is Pride Month, with the uh, seminal work of LGBT literature slash drama, and that is Angels in America, um, the lovely six-hour play. Um, I got a chance to see it last year on Broadway. Thank you, Meryl Fetterman. Um, and I, um, it's it's a play that I've seen on HBO because they did a, um, an HBO production of it a couple, um, actually twenty years ago already, uh, directed by Mike Nichols. Um, but it's um, it's a work. It's an amazing work. It's a problematic work too. Um, but I think its language is um, it, the, the 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 language of it is very very evocative and um, inspiring. So I'm going to end with this last quote uh, by one of the characters whose name is Pryor. He was um, diagnosed, um, well, he was uh, tested HIV positive and was diagnosed with AIDS in the play and is almost certainly going to die. But we come to the end and he has this last quote. I'm almost done. The fountain's not flowing now. They turn it off in the winter, ice in the pipes. But in the summer, it's a sight to see. I want to be around to see it. I plan to be. I hope to be. This disease will be the end of many of us, but not nearly all. And the dead will be commemorated and will struggle on with the living. And we are not going away. We won't die secret deaths anymore. The world only spins forward. We will be citizens. The time has come. Bye now. You are fabulous creatures, each and every one. And I bless you. More life. The great work begins. Thank you.